Welcome one, welcome all to The Tension. I am your host, Mick White. The Tension is a podcast all about putting two theological subjects into right relationship and finding the truth that God desires for His church. It is our hope with the show that we will be able to reach the lost, equip the saints, and challenge you to think deeper into the things of God for the glory of God. We are thankful and excited that you have decided to spend some time with us and pray that in some way you will be blessed by the conversation. I am joined with my co-host, as always, my brother, pastor, and friend, Eric Moran. How are you doing today, brother? Doing well, brother. How about yourself? I am splendidly wonderful. We had uh, some great asparagus and some meat with the, uh, you know, blood still coming out of it, you know, eating it like like men. So I feel charged and ready to have a man conversation. Well, we'll start with the fact that it's not blood, it's a protein. I know it's a protein. Oh, okay. It just makes it sound more manly when you say it's blood. Except for the scripture prohibits us from that, but yes. Yeah, it does, but it's not, though. <laughs> so, it was a joke, sorry, it didn't land well. My bad. Welcome to the story of my life. So, <laughs> today on the podcast, we will be discussing the topic of 66 books and 84 books, the canon of scripture. With the findings of the Dead Sea Scrolls and other fragments in 1947, we see some scholars say that we can use these findings to help our understanding of Scripture. There are also some that say we have no need for them because of the canon being closed. Today we are going to let Pastor Eric share some insight and weigh in on this topic. I will be asking questions as they as they come to me inside of Eric's presentation. So without further ado, take it away, Brother Eric. That's fine. I, I will start, but you did have a definition of canon somewhere, correct? You had oh, man. called that out earlier. Yeah, it's in the okay. Never mind. Book uh, over there, but it's um, it was, re- I think it was basically it was saying it was a reference to like that was the scripture and that's what the word meant. It was like in um, it was like referring to in a sense like that. It was sort of like something that we could go back to, and we we um. I really wish that I would have remembered to grab that book and write that down. Um, it was uh, it's church church history in plain language by Brian. Is it Shelley? Is that who it was? I don't know, but whoever it is, I bet you he knows what canon means. <laughs> I'm sure he does. I'm sure he knows what canon means. All right, so I just googled it, and this may not be the same definition or as well as yours was written. He wrote it to me earlier. That's why I was I I, I thought he had it with him, but it, that's yeah, fine. My bad. The canon of scripture is defined by the books of the Bible officially accepted as Holy Scripture, written by about 40 authors over the course of 1,500 years. It was essential that the list be drawn up of the books which reflected the truth of God's message and were inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's just kind of like a Google compelling truth.org for better or worse. Uh, The word canon comes from the rule of law that was used to determine if a book measured up to a standard. So it's a yeah. book that measures up to a standard that they hermeneutically came up with. Now that, that kind of puts it back into an introduction wheelhouse. Uh, I, it's been a while since I did the, the apologetics studying hermeneutics, but ultimately when, when you, hermeneutics is the science that people have agreed upon objectively, you okay. know, we just came out of subjective, objective, yeah, right. objective rules that we all agree that right. to understand a book, Example of hermeneutics is 
the original author to the original audience. It doesn't matter what you think subjectively right. and where you live. You mm -hmm. have to put yourself in the original author's yes. time and redemptive history. Mm -hmm. um, what we get to know later on mm -hmm. is not what they're referring to because yeah. they don't know that yet. Right. And, and because you do, it's by grace, but it right. doesn't give you the authority to trump where they were right. or else you'll end up making them say things that you're saying instead of hearing what they were saying that had authority. Right. So to use an example of this, because you had like a really good example and I even shared with my mom and I thought it was like super cool, the little insight into it. But when Jesus is referring to, I saw Satan fall like lightning in Ezekiel, you were talking about the, he's talking about the spirit. He's not talking about the accuser because in the Old Testament time, we didn't have Satan the way that we understand Satan now in the New Testament. Isn't that correct? Am, am I saying that right? So you're combining Ezekiel. I'd have to find out where you're talking about in Ezekiel. Is it Ezekiel? says, so I saw Satan fall. Like he, he, he like references. In, in Luke, when he says, I saw Satan fall like the morning star. Right. Um, that's when the two have been sent out, two by two, 70 go out to right. regain the nations. Mm -hmm. They come back, they're celebrating that they had, even they had power over the scorpions and demons and Correct. be able to have, you know, the ability to heal and overcome. Mm -hmm. And Jesus' answer is he looks to this guy and says, I saw Lucifer cast down or falling like a, the morning star. What that ends up being is in Revelations, you have the seven, <laughs> the seven tellings of the one end of history right and you have the the star that kicks the the, the dragon which re represents lucifer right. the, the ancient of serpents correct takes a third of the stars and in chapter one it's already said the yeah, stars are elohim yeah so this is those of the divine council that had been the gods that the one true god has been had assigned to the nations right correct and, and, and they have now made a evil representation of that and correct. that's psalms 82 where he's getting on to right. them for the way that they've performed and their mm -hmm. heart condition well they're not really kicked out of right relationship with god or availability of right relationship with god until the birth of the son right which is then the casting down of Lucifer's position and all of those that were on the divine council when he was born. Right. So when they're saying, man, we got power over the second heavens and they even obey us, Jesus is like, yes, because I am the reason that the morning star was cast down unto right. earth and I'm the reason that that door is now closed to them but becoming open unto you. Now, that's not all in the scripture right there. Right. But that's, that's what he's referring to. And then as you build out Revelations, you definitely see it there. I'm not saying there's not something in Ezekiel that you're thinking of that I would have to be reminded about. Well, you were talking about the the spirit, the spirit of man, like the the spirit of all of the like Nebuchadnezzar, all of them. That's what I'm talking about. Okay, because we were taking the information that we know now and reading it back into it, and that's what you were talking about a second ago. I was just saying that was an example of it, and you said it the other day, and I thought about it for a little while, and I was like, that's actually really good. I I do that a lot, actually. I shouldn't do that. Okay, so that, that was definitely in the Revelation series that I was talking about when Jesus is asked about, isn't Elijah supposed to come first? He says, well, if you're willing to hear the words coming out of my mouth, mm -hmm. John the Baptist is the spirit, spirit of, of Elijah. Elijah. Yeah. And you can build it out that Jesus is the spirit of Enoch, the two that had never died, and, and, and all the things that go there that you'd, you'd right. have to, like, inside of the meta narrative, the mm -hmm. fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. Right. Um, that Paul clearly teaches and you start to understand things in the new Testament in a yeah. way that continues to deepen the story um, right. without stealing anything on, on any of the other yeah, levels. Yeah. 
I would have to go to my revelations notes to find that an example that I would use real easy of this is, uh, in the beginning, let us make man in our own image. And then God created man, right? right? The most high created mankind with no help from anyone. The most sovereign created us. Correct. But when he says, let us go create. Yeah. And then God creates the, the word is Elohim and the us is connected to the plural and mm -hmm. the, uh, the God is connected to the singular as he and only he creates man and woman. Right. But he created them in community. Yes. In the image of the Elohim yeah. in community. Like they were a part of it. They didn't do it, but they were a part. They were of a witness. It. Of it. Yes. They yeah. were a witness. Yeah. And so then when you get Job, Job is the story of them witnessing. And, right. and you kind of start marrying these things that are in your Old Testament theology that seem so far away. That on the backside of this, we're gonna, we're, I'm, I'm gonna walk over to Peter. We're gonna look at some of that on the backside as we attach. Okay, now that we look at these things, why does it matter? Mm -hmm. Because the Ethiopian Bible today has 84 books. Yeah. All right. So Orthodox Ethiopian belief is 84 books, and then we have 66 books in our canon. And you say, okay, well, why is there different books? And and they've removed books from the Apocrypha, which if this is the new, you know, first time that you've heard this kind of language or these terms, you have what's called the 400 years of silence. Mm -hmm. And that's from Malachi until the Gospels. Yep. All right. So not necessarily Matthew because Mark came out before Matthew, but Correct. the genre of John the Baptist shows up looking like Elijah in the spirit of being the one that Isaiah said would come and make the way straight. And then right. thus saith the Lord, here's the Lamb of God. Yep. And we get into the liminal space of the Gospels. Mm -hmm. All right. That 400 years of silence, Jewish history and, and their their uh, inheritance and just the fact of their culture, mm -hmm. they were excellent historians. They, oh, yeah. I mean, they, they were always keeping up with their yeah, history. Yeah. And that 400 years of silence has many, many books inside of it. And all you'd have to do is like a regular Google search over what those are. But, I, you know, quickly, I know that there's Tobit, there's Judith, there's the Ezra's first, second Ezra, there's first through third Maccabeus. Mm -hmm. And the, the Maccabees is where you get Hanukkah from. And it's yeah. about their history. Mm -hmm. Why is that important as we talk about it today? And it's because that totally influenced the expectation and what they were looking for inside of this Messiah, inside of the savior of their people. Right. Judas Maccabeus had just saved them from the Greeks and overthrown the the, the power of man and right. returned their citizenship and their national ability to have their own name. Mm -hmm. And then when Christ comes and he's supposed to be the anointed one by yeah. those that are getting to walk with him, people start hearing what they want instead of what God is making known. Right. And that comes out of the expectations of history. Right. Um, the reason that we have the desires that we have is because of the childhood that we've been given. The right. reason that we think we should get more and more is because we've always had more than we should have ever had. Right. Which people that have never had anything don't have high expectations and they're thankful for things because yeah. they, you know, it's part of their history, part right. of their makeup. Right. So when you think of the Apocrypha and you see that certain churches in Eastern culture, which would have been very much more closer to that heritage closer mm -hmm. to that national approach unto scripture. Right. Um, they, they didn't get away from the books that we did. Right. Uh, you can read in your own reading. And the only thing about the canon is I, I won't lie to you. It's boring reading. And the reason is, is it's just straight history. Now, if you love history, that's I mean, awesome. You, right. You might, you might actually dig it, but, for most people, it's hard and you're wanting to get in. I was wanting to get into more relational stuff and application and, and, and things that would sway my attention. 
with that said, yeah. you have the Council of Nicaea in 330, you know, 333, 336. But the Council yeah. of Nicaea is where the Christians have gone through the persecution. Mm-hmm. They are, for the first time, making Christianity the national religion. Mm-hmm. When that takes place, the emperor gets together the bishops, and they basically say, we're going to come together on something because we've got so many people claiming so many different things mm-hmm. that we're not, you know, we're not getting any traction. We're not actually right. leading people. So to get it orthodox, straight thinking, this is what we all agree with. Nobody's leaving until we come up with something. And yeah, basically he takes the leadership of the church. They come up with what they are satisfied with and people will say, and then history teaches, but we don't know how accurate it is or whether it's something that people just started teaching as history played out. Right. That that that's where the sixty six books were agreed upon. I do know that the things I remember out of my reading is if Jesus Christ quoted directly from it, or if Jesus Christ uh, quoted directly from it, or said the, the name of the author, those were in. Yeah, and then they did. They also included in the New Testament any of the apostles if they had like their name attached to it. It pretty much got in because of because of that. And then if like. And inside of the church services that they were doing, it became a normal part of worship to read the letters that the other apostles had been sending back and forth to each other. It was a part of the worship, but along with a sermon and stuff like that. So it was, it's through the formation of how they were already sort of doing things that they came to that conclusion from what I've read so far in church history. And it's not very much, but that's what I had to offer to that. And it's one of those things that you're going to have to do your own discipleship and you're going to have to do oh, yeah. your own reading on. I mean, yeah. as, as we continue to present something, it it's not supposed to be the in-depth teaching of it. Right. Number one, that's not the premise. And, and, and number two, like the disciple Thomas, they've got the Gospel of Thomas, but they know good and well that it's a pseudographical book, which is written later. Now, yeah. we've, we've used words like apocrypha, and then we're going to talk about Dead Sea Scrolls, and then you're right. over here talking about pseudographical material. and. So pseudographical, um, you want to take a stab at it? No. Okay. So pseudo is Stephen King. Before I was saved, I loved Stephen King as an author. Yeah. He has a pseudonym. Do yeah. you know who it was? Oh, no. You've told me before. It's but... the Bachman book. So he had, I can't remember the first name, but his last name was Bachman. Wasn't Mark Twain the same thing? Uh, he could have been. I just know I that. I think that in... was his pen name or something like that. Like a pseudonym, like a, a fake name you go by? I, I... I, I'm I'm not sure about Mark Twain. I do know about Stephen King just because that's one right. that I you know I don't know. I could be wrong, so don't don't hold it against me. It was a name that wasn't theirs that would draw attention before theirs became no. who they are. Okay, all right. Makes um, sense. So a pseudographical material is where they grab a name that they knew people would read and want to read because of who it is about. Okay, I got so you. So when it's the Gospel of Thomas, but it's written in like 800 AD, and I'm, that's not accurate. I didn't go back and look at when you it just came out. a number out. But those people knew Thomas isn't still writing 800 <laughs> years later. So it, it's not like, so. but here we are 1,200 years later reading back, and you're thinking, is that the God, Thomas? It's been hidden. No, it hadn't been hidden. Everybody at the time knew that it was 800 years too late. <laughs> right. It was a story about, hey, if you look at Doubting Thomas, and then it was a fictional work with a pseudographical name, and mm-hmm. that's where they get the pseudographic, you know. Those books really are the books that people are trying to warn you about when you're talking about the Apocrypha because you don't know the dating unless you research and find the dating. Yeah, you got to put the work into it. Now, 
for the longest time, the Catholic church was really, really satisfied with you just having the 66 books. Mm -hmm. God has been saving people all along. So this still, I'm not saying is a salvation issue. The power of God can absolutely save through our 66 books or the 84 books. God is God. Amen. All right. Now, Moving forward, though, the Dead Sea Scrolls mm-hmm. are found in 1947. Yep. And that's in Qumran. And you've probably, you know, seen people or heard people talk about these things. There's four caves. Yep. So if you see a Q1, two, three, or four, that's just the cave that it came out. And then it's got the number of where that archaeologically was founded and pulled out of the cave. Mm-hmm. And they started putting these manuscripts together. And, and the, the beautiful part of this is you were able to pretty much figure out hey, what books are the Apocrypha? Well, they would be all of those that were in the Qumran caves. Right. But this is basically dated 250 to 300 BC. Mm-hmm. All right, so these books would have been around 300 years before Christ. Okay. All right, this is the oldest text that we had because the Masoretic text is not that old. So when we received the Dead Sea Scrolls and we were able to put it next to the Masoretic text, mm-hmm. it was taking something that is now given by God's grace in Mm -hmm. the perfect redemptive time in history for us to learn if something had been added, something had been taken away. Uh Is it the same? Is it different? What what, what am I looking at? So now you have this older manuscript to look at these new manuscripts and it self-identified much of what we already had. I mean, it was so close with eyes. I mean, yeah, exactly. So it gets really neat. And then they've got these books, first Enoch and you know, you've got books that are in the Apocrypha that, in the only one that we had that even talked about uh, Enoch before we had the Dead Sea Scrolls was in Ethiopia because yeah. they still have the 84 books, but you haven't had the Dead Sea Scrolls because they just came out in 1950. Right. So when you put this in a timeline, you're like, man, they got these horrible books we don't even have any proof of. But then in 1947, we find proof and it proves them right and us wrong, basically, because yeah. if they were there 300 years before, these are Jewish writings that the Qumran sect that wanted to get away from the world and ostracize themselves doing what? Bringing the word of God with them. Right. They were in there. Yeah. So that is a new thirst and a new focus that God has opened up at a particular time in history to prepare his remnant for whatever he's bringing us through or right. else God wouldn't have orchestrated yeah. and ordained it to happen. That yeah. Way. All right. So it, 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 in the sovereignty of God, when um, the way I, I, I approach that. Well, yeah, because I would say that it goes back to the value is that it lines up with the older writings. Now, what's the purpose of it? We don't. You're saying I don't know because that's what God's plan is. Yes. Okay. So among the Dead Sea Scrolls were a number of manuscripts of the Apocrypha and the Pseudographia. All right. So there's the difference in those two words. The Apocrypha are books that were inside the Dead Sea Scrolls that we know they didn't, they weren't pseudo written after Christ. This is 300 years before Christ, and we know that they were written because here they are. Okay. All right, so the Apocrypha becomes like more of a solid history opportunity, Yeah, the not Apoc- canon. Yeah, the, the Apocrypha has more stock, not canon, but it has more stock than the pseudo-literature. Right, because okay. it also had the scriptures, the ones that we did canonize, Right, but then it has books that we didn't canonize right. and books we didn't know really existed until we have those, Right, but other people had held on to these books that this then proved. So, I mean, it just gets to, as you start yeah, thinking about it, it's interesting. interesting. Yeah. All right, so but uh, they included ten when when they unearthed the Dead Sea Scrolls, they intended ma- they included ten manuscripts of the Book of Enoch okay. in the original Aramaic. Until then, copies were only extant in the Ethiopian translation of a Greek translation of a Semitic origin or original. 
So in other words, they had a Hebrew original that had been translated through the Septuagint into Greek, and that was the oldest one that they had before we found one in Aramaic, which predates all of them. Wow. All right. So it's it's just kind of neat the way that that stuff gets put together if you like that kind of stuff. I do. <laughs> when we look at that and we say, okay, does that change or help or excite in a right relationship way mm-hmm. the New Testament that we already have? And it absolutely does. Yes. Um, the rich man and Lazarus, where Jesus is telling a parable of the day. Mm-hmm. I've read many commentaries, and they would say, oh, Jesus was using a common known parable to speak to him about the gospel. Well, that's First Enoch chapter 22. Yeah, that's uh, the parable. That's the parable, the common story that they all knew, because they all knew First Enoch. Yeah. Now, Second and Third Enoch are written after Christ. Right. How would you know that? Because they're in the Apocrypha during the Dead Sea Scrolls to where it was predated Christ that we know first Enoch was before in part of their culture. Mm-hmm. Now it's dangerous if I just say all of them, first to second, third Enoch. Right. And then you're reading something older and you don't realize it because you're not doing your due diligence to find out the, the year of the book, the author of the book. I mean, right. that's up to you. That, yeah, yeah. First Enoch was definitely well known and had been part of the Jewish culture in the second temple time period. Okay. Which happens to be what Christ comes and speaks into. Yeah, directly into. Ultimately knows it's about to be destroyed. Yep. However, the Apocrypha keeps the Old Testament theology. It it, it is the Old Testament theology. So with that said... We have a hard time believing in heavenly hosts and angels and demons because we believe we're so intellectually further than that at this point. Mm -hmm. This material here shows you that they did not separate supernatural and natural, that they believe they were convergent space. Correct. And when Jesus looks at them or teaches that there's a possibility in the end of the sermon of the Sermon on the Mount, that there's a possibility that you could. Jesus, Jesus, I know the Gospels. I can tell you the story. Well, that's good, but are you doing the will of my Father? Yes, we've been doing all kinds of great stuff. We've been casting out demons. We've been doing miracles. We've been doing all these things going on, um, miraculous works. And he says, no, you depart from me. I never knew you because you never really knew me. You didn't know who I was. You didn't know what it meant to be anointed. You didn't know why the kingdom mattered. You didn't really know. Right. Because the will of the Father is to do what? Be conformed to the image of the Son. And I'm sorry, but in modern Christianity, we have a disconnect on how to be more like Christ. We don't know how to do it. No. And the more you try to do it, which is what they do in the middle. I mean, literally, he he, from the very beginning, he says, I know what the kingdom of darkness is going to do with this. Yeah. You're going to read it, and you're going to think because you intellectually uh, assent to it that you're going to be in. But that's a lie. Yeah. So... Coming down, saying a witch's prayer, and following me saying you're okay is not going to be enough. Yeah, it's not enough. Yeah. All right. But say you come down, you say a witch's prayer, and then you're like, man, I'm really good at this stuff. So then in pride, you start doing miracles. Mm-hmm. He can use the power of his word through you doing it in a selfish way. And when you meet him, he'll be like, nah, man, you didn't do it for me. You did it for the attention you got. You did it for the things that you thought you were going to get. You've done this all for yourself, whether it be fire insurance or what you were going to get from me, but you never did it because you loved me and you understood the kingdom. Right. You did it inside of a culture that made it Mm. about the rewards. And so Jesus doesn't talk about the rewards as much as he does about hell. Right. 
because hell is a spiritual truth for eternity, whereas yes. the rewards are there, but it's not the point. Now, he does make promises that you're, you know, I'll pay you back a hundred times fold anything yep. that you give. And that, and when we get to the beam of seat of Christ, that you'll be paid back for the things that you did wrong and you'll be rewarded for the things mm-hmm. that you did right. So there, it's there. Mm-hmm. Don't lay up treasure because you can receive treasure in heaven. And, right. But the emphasis he already knows is going to be naturally selfish without us falling in love with the true theology, right. which is what most Christians today struggle with because they've never even been told about it or, or encouraged to, to, to dig into it. Right. A New Testament Christian is a Christian that's after everything Jesus taught. Yeah. So when Jesus was saying, do you not know? Have you not heard? He's talking about the Old Testament. Yeah. When he's saying, unto me, you keep searching the scriptures thinking that you're going to find life, but you're going to find life in me. Mm-hmm. Well, I've got life in Jesus. Yeah, but you don't know how to have life because you don't even know. You can't have me without, the, oh, well, the father's back there and he's really mean and he kills everybody. But then <laughs> Jesus says, if you don't have the father, you don't have me. And if you don't have me, you don't have the father. So yeah. you better do something with it. And right. if you don't like it, we don't care. We happen to be God and we're in, <laughs> including you into an invitation right. that no one deserves. Mm-hmm. And if you fall in love with that mega story, it's what we're created for, right. and, and it should excite something deep inside of you. Right. All right. So I, I know that we're kind of all over the place with the, the, the purpose of these additional books really were just written for the culture that Jesus was born into. Right. Now, the canon thing, we can leave that to the side because you take your 66 books and you learn that Jewish history mm-hmm. and, and it'll all come together and you yep. don't have to make it anything different than it is. And, right. and so there's no angst in who's right and who's wrong. Mm-hmm. What is right is for you to know who the Father is. Yep. Because if you do, you will start to see the New Testament in a new way. And it hopefully will show you the blindness that you had because you never knew what you were looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, like in the Matrix where Neo says, my eyes hurt. And it's like, yeah, because you've never, never used them. Because you've never been in the real world. And right. so your spiritual eyes have never been used. And then when you start seeing things in the scripture, you're going to have to do something with them. Now you can willfully turn away from it, which would be unwise or you're going to start to see it because it's there Go well ahead. that's where you get the the cypress thing because cypress basically chooses like he sees the truth but he chooses the lie he wants to go back to the lie and then you connect it on later on and he's neo enters into i always thought this was interesting in this movie and then i put it together the more that i understood the gospel which is kind of cool but at the end when yeah neo is born into the real world so he thinks he sees things the way that they are but he's not really alive until he dies in the first one and then he comes back and then then he sees everything for what it truly is because he's been reborn so he sees it for the design that it is and you know he's the representation he's supposed to be the the messianic figure inside of the movie but i always thought that was extremely interesting in putting it putting it together and um, it's a really cool movie. I got to go back and watch all of them again with, with all the things that I know now. Mm-hmm. But I was going to say that um, it's interesting because all this information, they would have already known this information and Jesus would Jesus knows that they already know this information. So when he uses it, he's speaking into something that they already understand. The reason that we feel so removed from it is because we're not familiar with the writing. So then we kind of 
I think by default we become scared of it because it's information that we're not privy to. So therefore we automatically want to stiffen, you know, put the stiff arm up and be like, no, this is the 66 because these dudes said it was this way. But really it's like, well, he was speaking into their culture and referencing things because they were seeing it from the spiritual side because they believed in the transcendent God. They never separated the two of them. So the confusion comes throughout history where they see the manifestations of what they thought the Messiah would be, and that's when they start getting excited because they're like, "Oh, here he goes putting the government." You know, he, you know, Maccabee has killed killed the the leader and the other guy and defeated him, and it was like maybe he's the guy. You know, so when Jesus comes and he starts speaking into it, he was like, "I know it doesn't. What I'm telling you is it doesn't fit your idea because it's never been about what y'all think. It's about what God is, what God's revealing, and I'm here to proclaim that truth. I am that one." And there's an element there that what you're saying is right because everybody's an interpreter. Everybody has what they think of what's going on. Right. However, we have to do a lot of mental work to get back there and, and learn how to immerse ourselves into things that they were born and walked around in. Yeah. It wasn't what they thought. It's the world they lived in. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. Um, and But they did think about it in a certain way. And right. Jesus definitely is going after their hearts and their minds. Mm -hmm. But they lived in this culture. So in other words, if Jesus was to show up and him start talking about the insurrection when they went to the Capitol and how yeah. you've got the make America great again with the conservative. And then you got the, 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 the blue that is, you know, just trying to make sure everyone is, you know, socialism and equal. And it's like, you wouldn't have to explain those intricacies because you live right now. Yeah. Yeah. You're aware of it already. Now, when Jesus would show up, he would say, once again, it's been told in the scriptures that, you know, that the, only way this is going to work is when the government gets put on the anointed one that God the Father said that he would send because no man on earth can do it apart from being the anointed one. Right. It's the fulfillment of Isaiah. And it's the fulfillment of Ezekiel. Yeah. It's the fulfillment of these things inside of the life that you're living in. Mm -hmm. Now, you may think, make America great again. It's all red and you're great because that's the Old Testament. It's full of laws, full of restrictions, it's full right. of authority. It's full of what you know conservatism stands for. And amen. But as soon as it's what you think about conservatism, and it's about actually feeling what man wants out of it, then yep. it's separated from what it was designed for. Yep. The blue is what you get out of the New Testament. He comes with grace Mercy. and with truth yep. that fulfills all the laws and the expectations yep. that everyone was created equally in God's image and that mm -hmm. everyone does deserve to be treated the same way. Yep. But it can't be sustained without the truth and the law. Yep. of the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. It can't be given without the new covenant that fulfills the things that were lacking in the old system. Yeah. But the only way it'll ever come together is in the center on the cross, yep. which points back to the right relationship back up to the Father and it all being about his name. It's the vertical. And the feet being buried in this world because he was sent and he came. Right. But right inside of that is what I'm saying you're going to see in Scripture. The Father sent the Son because the Father is God. Yes. The Son is the fullness of of the image and representation because he took on flesh. Correct. He had equality with God, but he was willing to be sent, and he was sent by the authority of the Father to take on flesh to where he'll always be separated from God in his flesh so that we can always be united to him in, in his, his flesh yeah. for all of eternity. Yeah. That, that was an eternal sacrifice for him and an eternal hope for us. Yep. And that happens from the beginning. But now when I say that and you start reading your scripture— Notice how many times that God is saying God and his 
eternal life is to know the one true God and Jesus Christ, Christ whom he sent. Yeah. All right, but if you're combining Jesus with God and making them both the God, mm-hmm. you are missing the right relationship. Right. Jesus over in uh, Hebrews says that he lowered himself and became like us in every way. Right. Yeah. If that's true, mm-hmm. that means he was just as weak as I am while I'm talking to you. Yep. Although he was never separated by sin, no right. separation right. from the power of the Holy Spirit right. and the glory and name of his father. Yep. So God, his father, perfectly had his son's back. Yep. And the Holy Spirit was the power and mm-hmm. the self-control was Jesus laying himself down, mm-hmm. but still struggling just like me or you with, I mean, a uh, God and my father. If you come up with a different way right now, I really would, would appreciate great. that. Yeah. However, if you don't, I know that it's for your name's sake, and I'm here to do that. That's why I came. Right. And, and, but that means that we get to live mm-hmm. in the finished work of the Father being like the Son, and mm-hmm. it's not that you can't do it. It's you can do it, and where you fail, he has fulfilled, yep. and you're invited into this, and then God so loved the earth that God sent his only son. Okay, so that means like God is Yahweh, and Yahweh loved all of his creation enough to where he wished none would perish, but yet the kingdom of darkness has gone and created what God knew and allowed but didn't create. Mm -hmm. So he chooses to send his son, and his son chooses to be sent so that we can depend on the God that loved us first so we can love him so that we can be sent just like his son to be conformed to the image of his son. Right. If that's not the story, mm-hmm. then I hope he, I hope he loves me when he gets back <laughs> and you could come back right now. I wish you would come back. <laughs> Things are getting bad and you're missing who you are, why you're here. The, 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 the power and the glory and the name and the, and the impact and these are things that have been stolen from us that when you go back and you read it like a second temple Jew that Jesus was speaking into, he's like, listen, you've seen the Sadducees make this just about the government of man. And right. you see the Pharisees over here trying to rule the synagogue. And I'm telling you this, they'll take the law and they'll tell you about it. But I say, if it's not about your theology of Yahweh and the fact that there's a divine council and mm-hmm. there's a spiritual war going on, mm-hmm. then you're missing the point. Yep. But what do we, well, we're saved by grace through faith and not by so no one can but the same author says but you're not wrestling against flesh and blood you're wrestling against powers and principalities and the things that are in the spiritual places right it's convergent space you are mm-hmm. spiritually alive in this story yeah if that's been given to you by god the only thing that the usurper can do is try to usurp the gift that's been given to you not right. that he can take it away but he can distract you from it to, which renders you useless in the mission right and that's what we've been called to be part of is 12 men were raised by by christ to come out of that kingdom yeah and when we say oh man 12 men turned over the world do you think that you're able to do the same thing because the bible says you can well what he and it's it's sort of like you said with the truth he doesn't have to it doesn't have to be so drastically different it's just a little bit different but if you look at it i would i would attempt to sum it up in the sense of the reality with which base you live in, which would I would say as a believer, I'm a spiritual being have a having a human experience. Mm-hmm. But if you listen to the secular world, they'll say, I'm not I, I'm a human being having a spiritual experience, or I go after the spiritual side of things. 
and that's how subtle the inverse is. The inverse is from the operator, the from the reality of which you operate. Like Scripture says, we are seated in the heavenly places, so therefore that's why we do the things on mission for operating in that spiritual reality inside of the human existence. That's why we're doing that versus saying, I am a self having a spiritual experience, because those are two different identities. But they sound close enough together where it sounds like you're saying the same thing, but unless you're a little bit more versed in what you're actually saying and actually being aware of the terms that you're using, you know, you can quickly say, well, we're saying the same thing. I just see it a little different than you, but it's like, that's the difference between the truth and the lie, though. (laughs) And the truth and the lie is this, the truth I receive Mm -hmm. from Yahweh. Correct. The one and true God. Right. Through the door and the only way back into his presence correct because of what christ has done right that then the holy spirit according to christ is going to bring to remembrance as god reveals to me yes who i am god reveals to me his finished word god correct. reveals to me what this is right who i am what is truth not i'm trying to find truth I'm trying to figure out who I am. The arbiter of truth tells you what's true. You are not the arbiter of truth saying what's true. You submit and you're obedient, or you do not submit, and disobedience <laughs> is yeah. your attempt at trying to figure that out, and that's religion. Yep. And that and a religion is going to teach you ways to make yourself feel better about how you act, and you wonder whether it's good enough. Yeah, Why? Working, working your way to God. Yeah, and you're always doubting it because it's you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean the the truth is still gnawing in the back of your head that you can't right. you can't you can't with authority know. Right. That's the difference. But God does and has said. Right. How do you know? Cuz he said so. Right. Why? That's what I'm trying to figure out. I mean, I can't wait till he shows me. <laughs> yeah. But when I when I do that, I can be real about my faults because it's my faithlessness that he's faithful inside of and I get Amen. to hinge and fall inside of his finished yep. work and word. That's why Jesus came is for that relationship. And when you yep. meet him and you've been doing it all in your own power, he's like, nah, I don't know you, man. Yeah, you didn't. You weren't doing it for me. Everybody, you may have fooled everybody else, but you never fooled me for one second. But I mean, I went to church and I, and I died. That's and great. I, you and, checked and off boxes. And... I'm not asking about it. I'm talking about your motive. <laughs> but there's many people that have been told since they were this big. Absolutely. To being an older age and saying, I did everything for God and this is how he pays me back. Yes, because you were sold a bill of lies yeah. that, that he never said this was a place of anything other than suffering and sacrifice. Yep. The suffering is going to happen anyway. Yeah. The choice is where you're making a sacrifice with the life that you had. And, and, Amen. and as long as you have breath in your lungs and you see the truth, you can always return and repent yep. to fall in love with what you've always known. You just didn't yeah. know it in right relationship. Mm-hmm. And in the Old Testament, you have the stories. You have the theology that's put in story form for you to be a story to live out your theology. Right. And, and, and with that said, I mean, the power of the prince of the world was Pharaoh, and Moses came in and said, let my people worship, and Jesus Christ perfectly fulfills Moses and Elijah to where the fulfillment and not changing a dot or a tittle is... You keep searching the scriptures without me, and you can't find it. But if you would apply who I am and what I've done, you would fall in love with the fulfillment, and then you would be able to see it clearly for the first time that you are part of the story. And now if ever have your spiritual eyes and ears opened up to the fact that you are now part of 
the kingdom of God, the people of God, the place of God is the temple, with the presence of God being what you represent, there's nothing in this world that doesn't change. Everything is new. Everything is different. Right. Um, when, when we start looking at that 400 years of silence, where did they just come out of? Okay, so in Malachi, where are they at? Um, are they in exile? They're definitely in exile. Is it? I always get. I get. I still haven't had this stick in my head yet. The way it should. I'm gonna the, make it easier. The Asse- Daniel, the book ba- of Daniel. Babylon. Okay, so Babylon is where they were taken into. Is it the Assyrians first, then Babylon? Okay, so we're. Uh, Sorry, I'm. Done. No, 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 no. And, and repetition and the fact that you're asking. There's other people that are asking. If <laughs> I mean, trust me. I, 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 I'm trying to remember, dude. <laughs> no, and so after. David comes Solomon and Rehoboam. Yes. Yep. Yep. All right. Solomon shows his tail and only two tribes stay with Solomon and they are Benjamin yep. and And they're called this other one for forever. Uh Syria. No, not Oh my gosh, what is it? No, it's I know Definitely the, not Syria. I know the answer to this. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry that was rude. Uh Benjamin and let's see, they were the lion of Oh, Judah. Oh, okay. All right, so Judah. All right, so we got... So rude. <laughs> Syria. <laughs> See, it right. was a bad answer. <laughs> so, so anyway, you got... You, but you'll remember it that way, because you'll remember... All right, yeah. so you got Benjamin and Judah that are in the south. They get to keep all the Levites, because yeah, they have to yeah. stay with the temple. They stay in the south. The other ten go north. And they're called... The nation of... Uh, Israel? There you go. Nation okay. of Israel. Right. And their so, capital is... Uh, uh, Jerusalem. Okay. Jerusalem's down there with the temple. Oh, no, I'm wrong. And w- this woman was found at the well. She was a... Samaritan? Samaria is the capital of the nation of Israel. Okay. All right. All and right. that's that's your split. Okay. So now you got 10 tribes up north. Yeah. Two tribes down south. Yes. The Assyrians take over Israel from the north. Assyria, okay, yeah. So the reason they didn't take over Judah is because Israel was in the way. Yeah. All right, but Assyrians take over Israel, and instead of the two brothers having a broken heart, they're like, they, they deserve it. Yeah, they they're just living in the world. They're just assimilated. So their brothers and sisters are then distributed through the world, and that's the, the first part of the people of God be going, be going, becoming people of exile, people that are sojourners. All right, now, that was 722. 580, 586 is the fall of the temple in Jerusalem. Now there's at, there's there's three phases of this. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure I'd have to go back and look, but I'm pretty sure it's 593. Mm-hmm. So that's like what six years before the fall of the temple, right? Yes. All right. So when they took Israel, and we talked about when a nation at this time would take over a nation what would they do they would assimilate assimilate them they would break them up and then they would put them into other cultures so that way that their culture wouldn't survive they would basically they'd forget who they were they wouldn't know any more about their culture they wouldn't pass it down it wouldn't grow in strength it would just basically dissipate over the spreading out of and the they being forgotten basically having to um integrate into other cultures you know to survive and can you know continue to continue on and that's basically synchronism. Yeah. Which is, you know, Jesus being born in December. Yeah. That's definitely not true. <laughs> no, it's not true at all. But there was a Roman, in, you know, holiday that we could attach to. Like, and you know then, what would work great right here? Right. And, and the fact that 
who cares? There's presents. I mean, <laughs> and, 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 and then you end up yeah. getting sucked away. All right. So, but ultimately they get assimilated. Now what happened to their nobles and their magicians and their, their, their people of they were, knowledge? They were taken. The, the, the ones in power always take those from them and they like basically give them jobs inside of their kingdom, right? They bring them into their courtroom and they basically like, usurp their knowledge. Yeah. They're like, right. give me what you got. Well, you're valuable. Yeah. You know, you're, you're learned. And that's important mm-hmm. because in 95, 93, mm-hmm. Ezekiel was taken with the first round because Ezekiel is a prophet. Right. And, and, and you know, he was taken in the first round. Mm-hmm. So when you read in Ezekiel, he's already been in captivity for six years before the fall of Jerusalem. Right. So 587, the fall, and then they don't destroy everything until... 70 AD, right? Well, no, 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 no. That's way later. But oh, there's mind. a third layer of that that Jeremiah writes about, and they all have to run to Egypt because ultimately the king that was left there tries to make an alliance with Egypt, and finally, you know, Nebuchadnezzar's like, just kill them all, just, just, just destroy it, and they, and that's kind of the destruction of it. Okay, all that. Yeah, that's a lot to to, to say. I got like seventy percent. Well, I'd say sixty percent of that right, but it's way better than last time that I did it. <laughs> and that's what we're after: growth, baby, growth. Yeah, man. When we look at those us- usurping in exile, mm-hmm. God's people depend on Him. When they're in exile, as soon as they made this about their own land, it started to go south. Now that they're in exile, in Daniel, you said Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon take Judah and Benjamin. You didn't really say that, but... Yeah, yeah, that's what I said. Okay, so... You know. Yeah, I know. All right, so (laughs) in in 586, Nebuchadnezzar takes Judah Mm -hmm. into captivity. Mm Mm-hmm. And then Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon fall to the Medio Persians. Okay, and the Medio Persians are they are kings. Yeah, Who's their king? Uh, Xerxes, and then Darius is. I know Darius is the one that lets him go. Lets and and there's Cyrus, but we won't get all that. Yeah, there's Cyrus, and then there's Xerxes, mm-hmm. and that's Persia and the Medi and the Medes, and then they. Don't they start going wanting to go build their temple again? Isn't that what, what it is? So they are allowed to go back and start building their temple, but then the people that are around where the temple was make up accusations, and they write back to Persia, and they basically pull them back into Persia and don't allow them to, to do it until Darius. And then Darius comes, and he lets them go and do that, build the temple. Right. And and then you have Nehemiah Ezra that comes after after them. That as far as like historical narrative, if you're right, wanting right, to right. track with that. But yes, absolutely. All right. So now that we have them freed by Persia, mm-hmm. when they went into captivity with Babylon, mm-hmm. God put in the prophet's mouth whether you want to go to Isaiah or Jeremiah, pretty sure Ezekiel, that you're going to be there a while. Yeah. Make yourself at home. <laughs> you know, you're, yeah. you're, you're not you're not getting out anytime yeah, you soon. Be comfortable um, because. It's going to take a little bit. All yeah. right. Now, what that means is they they were around the belief system of the Babylonians. Mm-hmm. From the beginning to the end, Genesis 6, all the way through Revelation, you've got the spirit of the whore of Babylon. Right. 
If it feels good, do it. Yeah, baby. Um, it's all about you. Yep. If it doesn't hurt anybody else, I ought to be able to do it. I mean, so yep. that, that's, that's that anti-Christ spirit there because anti-Christ, what does Christ mean? Doesn't mean Jesus. It means anointed one. Anointed one or? Is it sent one? It, Messiah, Messiah, which is mediator. Which I mean, mediator. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Apostle is sent. Is it, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's anointed one or? Or Messiah. Or Messiah. All right. So when you read Christ and there's no Jesus in front of it or behind it, yeah, it's talking about, hey, if you're a Messiah, this is about you. Right. Because of the Messiah, that was the door unto it. Right. But it's not like, oh, and there's Jesus. Oh, the Christ is supposed to do this. And the Christ is supposed to do that. No, anyone that's anointed and filled with the Holy Spirit in right relationship becomes a shepherd, i.e. Messiah, unto mm-hmm. those that you've been sent. That would be, I don't know you yeah. if you've received the holy spirit right so when, when we move forward and we are around the babylonian anti lay down yourself spirit mm-hmm. of it's all about you kid spirit yeah yeah and they they understood their differences there right now when the persians come in mm-hmm. do you know what they worship uh no what their religion is no i don't know what their religion okay is. so is zoroastrianism zoroastrianism that's a mouthful. Z o r o rationalism. It's it, it's so anyway. <laughs> there, you can Google it. I, I mean, love that. that was so good. There is nowhere in literature, yeah, about a savior or a redeemer until you apply the suffering servant to the theology of the Persians, and it was Zoroastrian that came with this. We are going to be saved by a savior. And then they said, well, if there's a savior that's going to save the world, it's going to come out of our, our lineage. Huh. So then you get the suffering servant being the savior of the world. Interesting. And that you can track that in their second temple. This is through the history that you start to see these things changing. And it's like, well, why was it never mentioned in the ancient Near East? Because they weren't a polemic to what the cultures were believing around them. Huh. The more that they were on exile, the more that they were around those of the world to where they could find out who they were to be able to speak into what they believe because right. we are of the truth. But they're having it revealed as they go. Right. They knew he was going to be a suffering servant. And yeah. then when you say there's going to be one, they're like, yeah, he's the suffering servant, the one he's going to send. And he's like, well, he's going to be our savior. That's right. <laughs> if there's a savior, it's going to be the suffering servant and he's yeah. going to redeem us. And that's where the personification of what they struggle with in principle becomes personhood inside of this relationship of being with the Babylonians, with the Persians, and then the Greek come in. Ah. Well, when the Greek come in, what's philosophy? Well, philosophy, but what happens in 70 BC? The temple falls, right? That's seventy AD. That's that's that's, that's, that's the, the two up. I, I always do that. Seventy BC, AD, BC, AD. So BC, seventy BC, BC. I there's a translation that happens. Septuagint. Yes. What is a Septuagint? Septuagint is the Greek. Um, it's the I know it's the Greek translation, but isn't it like the where they took the Hebrews and they put it in the Hebrew language and put it inside of the Greek translation, isn't that right? Yes. Okay, I don't know. So that was your answer. It's the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. Yeah. Right. yeah. Now, for bonus question, <laughs> he, he got that one right. We got, we got, so, so <laughs> to keep growing. Okay. All right. Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. Right. 
if you take the book of Daniel, mm-hmm. the first half is written in one language and the second half is written in another language, what would that be? Uh, the first, I don't want, I'm, I want to say Hebrew, but I don't think it's right. Is the first half written in Hebrew? The first half was written in Hebrew. I will give you a lifeline. Okay. The second half was it Aramaic. It is Aramaic. It's the the, okay. the, the language that Jesus spoke. Right. Well, so, I mean, I, that's the only reason that I knew that. There's amen. only three of them that could be. But to put that together, the Hebrew Bible mm-hmm. was their history. Okay. However, immersed in culture, mm-hmm. the Aramaic becomes the language they're speaking because they're in exile. Right. Because that's what they're among. So right. they're they're. But that's what they're learning as they're going, though. Right. Which is kind of cool. And how they communicate what they believe in the Hebrew is now inside of Aramaic. Right. And our Lord and Savior mm-hmm. speaks Aramaic yeah. because they're still in the middle of a transa- transition, Trans- yeah. transition into the Hellenistic Greek culture. Right. And all of this is meshing right around the time Jesus is born. In other words, yep. the perfect timing that God's going to send to be able to do what he's doing. Yeah. When the Septuagint is written in Greek, it's written in the Greek language. Mm-hmm. When the apostles teach, mm-hmm. they are using the Septuagint. They are not using the Hebrew. Right. When they translated the Hebrew and Aramaic, if you're looking at Daniel, into the Greek, they were translating it for the transmission of the Hebrew and Aramaic theology to the Greek. Okay. Right, so if you take the King James 1611, it's the right Bible. It was in 1611, King James had a translation for the people that lived at that day in the way they spoke to be able to understand the translation for which they were reading because the right. story is the point. Right. All right. The Septuagint answers what we think about the Greek pantheon mm-hmm. and the Council of Gods. Mm-hmm. It's there in the Jewish history. It's mm-hmm. Jewish polemic. Uh. So it's not like when we went to school and you're like, what about Greek mythology? That's what those pagans thought. There's a little bit more to it than that. Yeah. There is an answer, like a literal theological answer to the pantheon of gods because they are the B'nai Elohim, the heavenly host created in the image of the one true God that then naturally only want to usurp his power because he gave the people, human creatures to them at the Tower of Babel. Right. Deuteronomy 32, 7 to 9 is the worldview that we're talking about. Right. But through the things that go on from Genesis 1 through 11, you have this divine council, pantheon of gods that have now been assigned geographical areas to rule over. To rule, and they had the ability to rule well inside of the name and in the honor of Yahweh. Yeah, imagine that. They had a choice. Or to not. Yeah. And as that's played out. We have our human history inside of the convergent phase, if it, convergent phase, convergent convergent space. space of the second heavens right. that is just revealing who you love, mm-hmm. the third heavens or yourself mm-hmm. or this world. Yep. And then it gets personified into a single deceiver. Right. All right. That is the character of Satan when yep. Jesus is here, but that's not in the Old Testament. There, right. Okay. So when, when we get through that, though, this time period, of translating into Greek mm-hmm. this Sunday's message, and I'll, I'll go give you some of it. But when John is in <laughs> Revelation and he's trying to say, we're about to go into the rest of the story. Right. 
And Jesus has already looked down the temple, and he knows in 70 AD that the Roman Greco worldview is going to destroy what it's been up to that point. Right. Now, they've already destroyed it because the presence of God is being withdrawn from it, and he tells his disciples they've already separated themselves. Mm -hmm. Now you're the temple. Yep. But here's the point. Romans might equals right. Yep. If I can tell you what's right and kill everybody else and nobody knows, that's the wrong way. Yep. Greco is philosophy. I can make this story about man instead of about God. Yep. And that's what the struggle is. The might and the might, the might and the power of the government of man mm-hmm. fulfilling the needs of the people instead of depending on God. Right. Coming up with a story that it's about man, yep. usurping the revelation of being received from God because you can figure it out on your own. Yep. You marry those together and you move into religion and away from relationship and Jesus brokenheartedly knew that that was what was coming. Yeah. The book of revelations is John trying to say it's about to happen when the rulership of the sea, which is the spiritual realm and the rulership of land, the government of man are going to be combined in one human being. That's going to say he is the representation of God. He's your Pope. And that's going to be your only way to the father. Right. Through a man. Yep. That is your interceder correct? versus the truth of who God and Jesus Christ are Mm -hmm. when he says in the first chapter, so he is the God who is and who was and is to come. Right. It's horrible Greek. Yeah. Like if you read it in the Greek, when you read commentaries of people that know Greek way better than I could ever do it, but I can see the brokenness with the, the, with the technology. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can see it. I, I wouldn't be able to pick it out on my own, but yeah, I can see right. what they're saying. Okay, either way, the God who is and was and is to come. Now, even inside of our tenses, what's our tenses? Past, present, future. Not present, past, future. Yeah. So why is who is in front of who was and who is to come? Um. Well, time is time is just a, a, a construct that we use to refer to, like, give you an idea of when. So, like, Really, we're only ever in the present moment. We only refer we refer to the past to tell you that it happened previously, but we say we're going to because that's our plan. But really, all we've ever been in is this present moment. Okay, so John is the author, mm-hmm. writing to those who only know the Septuagint. Correct. <laughs> takes the name that God gave the Hebrew people, right, which is the Exodus three fourteen. What happened in Exodus three? Oh, I don't know. Moses is out in the desert. Look, he's like, that's weird. Oh, that's where he says, "I am." Is that what you're talking the about? The burning says, bush. Who am I supposed to tell them that sent me? And he says, "I am that I am." I mean, I am that I am, or I am the great I am. Yeah. So I is that I is. Yeah. <laughs> All right. It's 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 a present right. tense understanding of who that. God is. Yeah. But that's where John is tying the horrible translation of greek to the hebrew to where the hebrew would have seen it and the greek would have seen it because before and during the time that he's writing the greek word for most high is zeus ah but the hebrew understanding is yahweh yeah right and he is saying and they've got transcriptions of greek writings 
Zeus is the God who was and who is and is to come. And John is poking fun at him saying, you know, when you put our God against your God, because this is what this is about. Right. We worship the God who is the great I am that I am. Yep. He was because of human history. Yep. And he's coming back because yep. that's who he is. He's the Alpha and Omega. And he's the fulfillment of all the, all the picture. And when you start putting that together, okay. that sucks you into there was a lot of things going on that were understood in their culture right that we miss so john is basically saying what you think now is wrong because it was wrong and it will be wrong <laughs> he is using the truth of yahweh as a polemic well against... yeah that's what that's what i meant by he's poking fun of it he's basically mm-hmm. saying is like it's current you're currently not right because it's currently the god is yahweh because it was god because it was yahweh and it will be yahweh so, that's interesting. I never really thought about that. That's a good one. Well, and if people are even tracking and still care, <laughs> when we look at the strength of understanding this this material that is available to us, you can get it for next to nothing. It you is, really can. And it's way more edifying than watching whatever Netflix you're binging because oh, it I'm actually you, is in time, the time of Jesus. Yeah. So when you look at it and you look at Jude 5 through 7 mm-hmm. and 1 Peter 3, 18 through 22, the only way that you could understand these is by knowing the apocryphal books. Right. And people skip it, say that we can't know it. And what it is, they've just never been around it. So when I read Jude 5 through 7, and then we're going to spend some time in 1 Peter 3, and that'll probably be what we do with the rest of this, but it's going to be an application of the difference of you've had your 66 books. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to talk about the things that you would have if you had the 84 books and, and you had kind of immersed yourself in that culture. Mm-hmm. And, and we're going to look at the New Testament verses. That way people are the most comfortable with this liminal space. But what we're going to do is um, Jude 5 through 7 reads like this in the ESV. Now I want to remind you, that you were once, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Mm-hmm. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Mm -hmm. So right there, when we look at that, the first thing that sticks out is, I I understand that you guys know this. So he's taking for granted, Jude, this is Jesus' half-brother, takes for granted that the Jews that he's talking to are Jews. Yeah. (laughs) You know, that this is what they lived and they loved and they your, Your ancestors are the ones that came out of Egypt. And they, once again, are saying to Jesus while he's walking, I mean, why don't you be like Moses and give us manna? And he's like, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Moses was something when you ate, you died. I'm just saying I'm the fulfillment of the eternal spirit. Right. So uh, you're not Moses. (laughs) Right. And, and, And so here he is saying, okay, they would have said Moses led the people out of Egypt. Right. But he's saying, I want to remind you, and you already know this, that Jesus saved the people through the land of Egypt. Mm-hmm. Now, how did Jesus save the people out of Egypt? Because, you got any verses? Weren't they, I don't know, I would I would stab at Exodus saying that uh, the, what is it, the cloud by, 
Okay, so he's he's getting two things confused, but that's what I want you to think of is the one you got right now. Yeah, the um the is it a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by the day or something like that? Yeah, okay, I'm... that's what leads them out of Egypt. Right, but that's but that's him. That's what I'm saying. Like that's not Moses leading them out. That's the the spirit leading them out. Okay, and that's the role of the Holy Spirit that led them, whether it was in the darkness or the light. They had the Holy Spirit, which As was the power of God, leading them out and protecting them at night. Yeah, like they would go and showed them which way to go. Then when they were to rest, it would hover over them. So that's not the person of Jesus Christ. No, 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 no. That's not. Oh, that's not what, then that's what you're asking. Not even me. the person of Jesus Christ. If we fast forward to the New Testament, because we're trying to keep it in the New Testament, that okay. way we'll encourage people to go back and read the Exodus because okay. it's the fulfillment and not a dot or a tittle has been changed, but it's been deepened by this coming of Jesus Christ and opening a door that you are now invited into. Part of the Red Sea? To where you find yourself in the scripture. Definitely part of the Red Sea. Who did that to the Jew in the Second Temple period? Moses? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So once again, they're like, but Moses did that. And Jesus is like, okay, but Moses was a forerunner of me. Yeah. Hmm. Can you send manna then? I am the fulfillment of the manna. <laughs> hmm. But the scriptures say, and you search the scriptures like they're going to give you life, but you won't listen to the words coming out of my mouth because yeah. it's through being like me, conformed to my image, to right. where you are the people of God with the presence of God right. in the place of God that it becomes available unto his children right now. So 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 4 is what you were thinking of in conjunction with remembering Exodus. Mm -hmm. And it reads like this in the ESV. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. Right. And they all passed through the sea. Right. And all were baptized into Moses and into the cloud and into the sea. And they all ate the same spiritual food and they drank the same spiritual yeah. drink. Or they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. That's, and yeah. the rock was Christ. Okay. So here, Paul is taking these stories mm -hmm. and saying it's one story. Yeah. He does the, he's stretching it out to the polemic, right? Oh, it's always been a polemic. Well, it? I mean, I'm, so that's what he's calling you to see here in this right here is the. So when Paul does his list, he's like, oh, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. I'm yeah. a Sadducee of Sadducee. I, I, you know, he, Paul had, yep. he was underneath Gamaliel. He is, and I counted that as dung, mm -hmm. rubbish, to know the unsurpassing truth of what Jesus has made available unto me. Right. And then he died for it. Yep. All right. So with that said, what he was teaching his brothers is same way the Holy Spirit led them through their dark days and their light days, mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit is now here to provide for us. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to go through the Red Sea, red equaling blood for the baptismal waters to right. enter into this new relationship that then crushes the power of the enemy right. in the work and the blood of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. But when you find yourself on the other side, still in this world, but not of this world, and you're in the wilderness— you're going to start to grumble that, I mean, at least when it was in the world, I knew the rules and I could get what I wanted and I could work a little bit extra. And, you know, I, now you're telling me that I'm this new people and with these new nations. So I give you the Ten Commandments, but the Ten Commandments are to show you how beautiful Yahweh is, not right. how you can't keep it. Right. But you keep turning this into religion where you're trying to do something that you can't do. Mm -hmm. And instead of falling in love with the Father, which I've now made a way unto, mm -hmm. you keep trying to act like me and make the Father owe you something. Right. And it's not going to work. And you're going to continue to revolve around that because you've never actually entered into the Jordan River. Mm-hmm to be able to be baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit to get on the spiritual war of mm -hmm. Joshua and Jesus' finished name to where you've got work to do while you're here. Right. And, and when you start to understand that Old Testament, 
now. 20,000 people get fed. Jesus puts them in the boat. They almost die. He shows up. He gets to the other side. The crowd chases him on the other way. This is John 8. Yep. And when, when they get there, he turns. He's like, you guys don't care about what I'm saying. You care because I filled your belly and yep. you want me to overthrow Rome. Yep. So you want things here and you mm -hmm. want my authority to be attached to you. And he goes, but you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Everybody leaves. Okay. But here's where he's getting it. The spiritual food and the spiritual drink of which was the water from the rock and mm -hmm. the manna mm -hmm. and, the, and the quail yep. were to point to how we were going to consume spiritually what they consumed physically. Because when you put the spirit, the, the flesh and the spirit in right relationship with the father, oh. you fall in love with the fact you're in your exodus, you're in the wilderness. If you would stop trying to do it in your own power and actually pray and wait, then I, I would you. provide. This is where it comes to the, he provides for the birds. There How much go. more would he provide for you? It's the living out the, the promise of the spiritual side, not the physical side. So if you were to actually offer yourself as a living sacrifice, which would be your reasonable spiritual, spiritual worship, worship, you'd yeah. be able to discern and know the works of the Father and the Son. That's interesting. And you start to fall in love with this story that you're in your exodus. Right. This is not your home. You're a, you're a, you're an alien. You're a sojourners in a in a land, and you have a message that no one wants to listen to. I mean, yeah, that's pretty much the story. And all they can hear is the law when they need to hear there's a spiritual battle to go be part of. Right. And then lead them to the fact that Moses couldn't fulfill it. That's why Jesus did. But Jesus only opened the door. Mm -hmm. It's you going through the death of self, which is the Jordan River, yep. that you don't wait to go to heaven. Somebody didn't explain your baptism to you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because your <laughs> baptism is now I am dead in Joshua. I am now dead in Jesus. Yeah. that's the... So that I'm in the promised land as his temple mm -hmm. because this is his and he's coming back. That's right. To make the way straight with the spirit of Elijah, prophecy, right. and the spirit of Jesus Christ, I've got the fulfillment of the spirit. I've got the truth of the, the history of God. And now I've been sent alive in the story. Yeah. Baptized white, yep. not just red. Right. I came through the blood and was baptized where the Father would look at the blood to see the payment for what I've done wrong. But that's only one part. That's only the flesh. Which is the blood saying door. Amen. The Passover for the exodus. So you're born spiritually dead and separated. So when you go through the door, now you are spiritually alive. So it's the rebirth. That's the that's what it signifies, right? Okay, so in John 3, it says to be born again mm -hmm. to see the kingdom of God. Right. Nicodemus, well, I'm going to crawl back up and move my mom, be yep. born again. He goes, no, 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 truly, truly, I tell you, you must be born of water and spirit to enter the kingdom of God. Right. Okay, so to see the kingdom of God is to be reborn into what we lost in the original covenant, which was the usurping of Adam's authority, the mm -hmm. federal headship. You right. First Corinthians 15, 40s yeah. to get that, you know, that story there. But the fall of the transgression of if you do this, you will die. Right. Is a work covenant. Yeah. That work covenant has to be paid for with perfect obedience because of the disobedience. Yes. That's the blood of Christ. Right. Christ came and obediently fulfilled the demand for that blood because the life of the creature is in the blood according to Leviticus 17.1. Correct. So he is our sacrifice so that, guess what? You, you can, can be, be a sacrifice, sacrifice moving right. forward mm -hmm. to be conformed to the image of his son, which is the will of my father. And then when you say, hey, not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, Jesus, Jesus is going to get into heaven. But the one who does the will of my father. Well, that's great. We've been doing this. And we've been doing that. And we've been tithing. And we've been coming to church. It's like, you know, conforming to the image of my right. son yeah. is to be a sacrificial Christ. shepherd leading mm -hmm. people home as you lay down your life and you fall in love with that story. That's a different story. It is.
right, and then so anyway, when when you start putting these pieces together and you start to see going back to the Jude passage of scripture, which I, I came out of, but going back to the Jude passage of scripture. It says that I don't. I, I want to remind you guys that you know that it's Jesus who actually fulfilled Moses leading us out of Egypt because the power of the prince of the air is Satan. Mm-hmm. Egypt represents the world. Right. You have now been freed through Jesus Christ by the blood and the water that has now crushed the enemy to where you're in the wilderness, moving into, like you were just saying, the spiritual battle through the Jordan. Right. All right. Verse six in Jude says, but the angels, the divine Elohim, those that didn't stay, in their right position of authority mm-hmm. and left their proper dwelling, which means they incarnated, yep. they are kept in eternal change under gloomy darkness until the judgment day. That happened in Genesis 6 when he sent the flood. And to- they're under the Euphrates River. That's what it says. They are locked away in the abyss yep. until they are loosed for a little while, according to Revelation 20. Yep. However... The Nephilim that were two thirds of God out of natural relationship, mm-hmm. they left their natural place, so they can't go back to yeah, the they third can't heavens. Go back, and because hell is not prepared place yet, because that doesn't happen until Revelation twelve, uh, they they can't go to eternal punishment. So they have to roam around the the first heavens, the material world, until they are the, evil spirits moving forward yeah, in yeah, history. But that's where we get our demonic spirits and all that stuff. It's where we get that from. It's because they don't they can't go anywhere yet because their place hasn't been prepared and they're not allowed to go back from where they came from because they've basically been kicked out like Adam and Eve were of uh, Eden. So for to, disobedience, imagine that. So today that's your vampire stories, that's yep. your witchcraft, that's yep. your necromances, that's your mediums, that's yep. your and it's not on DVD baby, it's in Deuteronomy and Leviticus that you put <laughs> these things to death because they are real. They're not yeah. we have not moved outside of the truth of God. We have explained it away because we've been encouraged to explain it away, and it's actually the separation of, in their minds, they thought they were wise, but they became fools because yep. they exchanged the honor and the glory of this being about God, mm-hmm. and they made it about man yeah. and creeping yeah. things. So then they exchanged the truth for a lie, because all you got to do is have yours. It doesn't matter that there is the truth. Right. You just need a lie, because it's yours, and that's going to separate you. Yep. And then you'll exchange the natural relationships and the way that things are supposed to go, because you're justifying yourself which ends in a whole long sentence that ends with, and even though they know these things bring death that you deserve, they not only do them, they approve of others. In other words, they, they love watching it, right? Can't wait to go home and watch vampires. <laughs> Either way, it's right here, but where else in Scripture, other than First Enoch explaining Genesis 6, 1 through 4, would you have any context of angels that did not stay in their own position of authority? Right. That's the only place. That's the only place. So the only place to actually understand it is to be in their culture, which Jesus knew that they already were, and so did Paul when, and Jesus' half-brother. When they're speaking, they are taking for granted that you know this second temple theology. Right. But we don't, Eric. So go read it. I mean, it's literally the Apocrypha. All you have to do is go read it. I'm not saying it's canon. I'm not saying to put it on that depth right, position. Really, yeah. But it is nothing but depth and encouragement and history and things that went without being said. And this is this is my encouragement as being someone who actually did go and read it. Um, it All it did was unlock all the parts of the Bible that I did not know what to do with. And it's just like... Is it was this talking? I remember calling you several times and saying, "Is this talking about this?" And then you were like, "Yep." And then I would get a little bit further, and I was like, 
so is this talking about that too? <laughs> like, yep. <laughs> I was like, but you do get to a point where like you can't unsee it. I mean, it's it's all over the place. Even down to um, I really wish I could remember the passage where it says he took a, a host of captives and led them down. Is it's, it, it's, it's, Ephesians, it's Ephesians four. It's Ephesians four, mm-hmm. but yeah, for a lot of people say that that was about um him leading down other believers. But really, that's not what it's about. That's actually, it's an older... Um, it's in the Psalms. Yeah, it's in the Psalms. But it's an older tradition where you would go and you would conquer a place. And then when they came back, they would have a parade or a procession. They would come back in through the city and they would have their enemies behind them in chains. And then that is what that's actually talking about. And then he gave gifts to men. And that's where those are the... Jesus give, gave gifts to the church that we could edify the church with these things, which are spiritual gifts. So therefore, through his spiritual victory and conquest, we have been given gifts to then go out and to help the church grow by having the gifts from God, because we're all part of one body. That's why we all have different gifts. And if you say you don't have a gift, you're a liar, because you do have a gift. You just don't know what it is. So tap into that. There's my encouragement. Sorry. Back to you, Eric. So verse 5 was, remember in Egypt, this is now fulfilled in Jesus for those going forward. There's Correct. these Elohim, there's these heavenly host that didn't stay where they were supposed to. They took on improper dwelling to where they're trapped here. Their parents are the original B'nai Elohim are locked away until they're released for a short time. Mm-hmm. And then verse seven says, and just as Sodom and Gomorrah and their surrounding cities indulge in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, they serve as this example for us undergo for them undergoing eternal punishment or eternal fire. All right. Now, just as Sodom and Gomorrah, and because there's indulge in sexual immorality, the Christian loves to make this about those homosexuals. Yeah. You know, however, if you look at it in, the, in proper context, I'll read something from a commentary that he's smarter than I am, and that's why I'm doing it. And then we're going to look at the Sodom and Gomorrah. But it says <laughs> this. He says, already in the Old Testament, and even more so later in Jewish tradition, Sodom came to be viewed as the epitome of weakness. Hmm. Strange flesh in both the King James and NSB, New American Standard Bible is what that is, here could mean angelic bodies, but because Jewish tradition would not call angels flesh, and the Sodomites did not r- realize that the guests were angels in Genesis 19.5, Jude may have their attempted homosexual act in view. Strange flesh is literally other flesh. By this, may, they may mean other than what is natural, rather than other than their own kind. Then again, in the same way as those of in verse 6 might imply angels and having intercourse with each other, apart from Philo, few ancient Jewish writers stressed the sodomites in their homosexual behavior. In other words, that wasn't an issue until we made an issue in our culture, and we started pointing at the homosexual because it's way easier to point at the homosexual than what it actually means. But according to Philo and the ancient teachers of the day, that's not the issue they had with it. Right. So that's something we've, we've grown into, and I'm not saying that there's not valid points there, but most instead stress their lack of hospitality, their arrogant sin, or their sexual immorality in general, mm-hmm. which in the Jewish perspective included, but was not limited to, homosexual acts. So, yes, was that there? Yes. yes. Was it the main point? Was no. that the bigger thing? No. no. No hospitality. Why? Because their arrogant sin... And sexual immorality in general. Hmm, now, why would I love making it about a homosexual? Probably because I don't like dudes. <laughs> right? But that means that I'm pointing my <laughs> finger at somebody else. Right? Right. It and makes if, it your problem, not mine. And, and, and so if that's true, you go to 
Ezekiel, mm-hmm. first prophet really putting forward now that you're in exiles. Mm-hmm. He says this in uh, 49. He said, hey, but behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. Yeah. So when he says you're a Sodomite, because of these spirits, we might want to understand what the spirit of the Sodomites are. Here's what she is. She is the daughter, and she had pride. She had excess of food, and she had prosperous ease. But she did not aid the poor and the needy because she was so haughty that she did this abomination before me. So when I saw it, I removed it. So how about it, America? Excess food, pride, yeah. Yeah. prosperous ease. Yeah. But, you know, you should get a job. Yeah. I mean, just sitting out here. It doesn't break our heart that there's people that don't have. Right. Because of our pride of what we've been able to accomplish instead of realizing we were given the gift to do it. Not that there's not a need for work if you don't eat. Right. You know, you don't, if you don't work, you don't eat. I'm, I'm, I'm in on that too. Yeah. But ultimately, the arrogance of the pride is not the homosexual. The homosexual is a growth out of that brute. The sexual, the, uh, what was it? The general sexual uh, indulgence. Sexual, sexual immorality. Okay, immorality. All right, so um, go stand in the grocery store line. Just look at the magazines. Yeah. It's in gross general sexual immorality. You can pick a people group. Oh, it's, it's dude, it's in hamburger commercials. Exactly. <laughs> so we're selling hamburgers with sexual, general sexual indulgence. Yeah. But if you ain't got six dollars, you ain't getting no hamburger. You can sit out there and look just as hungry as you want. Nah, I can't can't do nothing can't for do it. Can't do it, big dog. Right, you ain't you weren't in a commercial. Yeah. <laughs> so I have a question really fast. The and pursued unnatural desire. Could you say that that unnatural desire would be another growth of it? Would be to love yourself more than you love God and love others. That would be the spirit of it. And that's well, that, well, that's what I'm saying. Him, yeah. But wouldn't that be? Is that sort of along the same thing? And also. The undergoing a punishment of eternal fire, could that also read undergoing a punishment of eternal judgment? Yes, because the Holy Spirit is the judging fire of God. Okay. I was just making sure. So where when Jesus said, when John says that Jesus is going to baptize not with water, but with the Holy Spirit. So, I mean, that's that's what that is. When Jesus comes, he's going to immerse this world in the truth of who he is. Yes. So if you like it, that would be the Holy Spirit. If you don't, it's fire and judgment. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's either or. And Jesus tries to tell you all the way through the New Testament, I'm not trying to tell you that I'm condemning you. I'm telling you, you're condemned already at the Tower of Babel. You've already fell in love and you're owned by another God. And the only way to be reborn and to Mm. see it is to connect to this story that's back here. Wow. So now you have to be born for the first time in water and Holy Spirit. So right. the, the water is you were born by blood and water through your mama to get that physical life. Yep. The water is now this physical life and what you're going to do with it. The spirit is the blood, the life of the creature. Right. So once again, when you look at the blood, the water and the blood on both sides, there's, there's beautiful things there. How, what are we on time? Yeah, 122 right now. Man, what? First, First Peter three is another section where the only way you can understand this theology is to sit in front of it, and it says, "For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous." Mm-hmm. And I've got somewhere else in the in the truth, uh, subjective, objective. Yeah. He, he was talking about the the one that lines up with subject subjective truth is always going to be the unrighteous persecute or judging the righteous right in their subjective opinion yeah yeah but it's and then the next one is uh oh my goodness persecute 
they're going to be the ones persecuting you because you're trying to invite them into the freedom. You're trying to invite them into the salvation, yeah. into a redeemer. And they're having none of that. They just want to tell you how bad you are. And you're like, wait a minute. You, you, you're telling me I'm the bad guy, but you're telling me I'm, I'm, you're not what, wait, anyway. So I, that was a sidebar. I'm sorry. I chased that rabbit. All right, that one's dead. For Christ suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to who? To God. Right. All right, so Jesus suffered once to bring us to Yahweh, mm-hmm. being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God, Yahweh's patience, waited in the days of Noah, right. while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from your body, but as an appeal to God the Father for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So there's another one of those examples that you should start seeing it everywhere. Right. A appeal to God through Jesus. Yeah, because right. he, he is the perfect payment. So that's the thing where you're saying that I believe the in his perfect it, fullness. I believe in the fullness of his payment, therefore, so I can be born into that the alive relationship that I was invited into by the bloodstained door. If you steal the Father's glory and try to act like, but I loved and worshiped Jesus, mm. Jesus is going to be the one to correct you. I'm not saying that, that you don't have salvation because I, I, don't, I don't have that choice at all. No, but you what may I, suffer the consequences for it. And I'm not saying that. It, it, I, I, what I am saying is yeah. Jesus Christ would never take the glory of the Father. He didn't do it one time. Never did it. And every time that it came time for glory, it was always glorify the Father. Well, you said I never do anything of my own accord. There, you, there it is. Authority right there. belongs that's to the what, Father. That's what he's saying. Now, that's not a value statement. It's not that God the Father loves. He's the firstborn of the new creation of all of those that are in right relationship with the love of God in the spirit of God with a resurrected flesh. And the other thing that I like is is that when Jesus is baptized, God Yahweh is actually says, This is my son in who I'm well pleased. He's making a proclamation there. And then you see the Holy Spirit come and descend and rest upon him. You're seeing the design right there. It's basically showing you inside of the baptism when we become baptized that that's the that that's it right there he's You're saying entering I, that same door yeah i no longer see you the individual self now i see the the profession of the perfect payment that jesus you know that jesus, the perfect life that jesus lived now you are entering through that door to chase after him to be conformed into his image because that's the design so the door of baptism is the opening of the story yeah, it's the it, beginning. It, it makes the third heavens available to the first heavens. Right, it makes it the convergent space. And, and the first heavens to the third heavens. Right. Because of what it's doing in the second heavens. Right, because it's showing them that yeah. he said, oh, you ain't the only ones. <laughs> so at he suffered once and died yep. in the flesh so he could be made alive in, in the, the spirit, spirit. Because when he was in the spirit and in the ground three days, like the sign of Jonah that I'm going to give this crooked generation, and I'm not here to argue with the silly stuff you're talking about. But what I am going to do is I will go down and I will proclaim to the father of all these lies that my father has overcome him. And that's the only reason I was here casting out sin, because it's easy to tell you, go ahead and walk, you lame man. But it's a lot harder to say the reason that all this is even this way is because of the sin and the separation from what we were originally created for. Right. Inside of those waters, that liminal space, Jesus Christ, with no separation, takes on our separation. Yes. And... Fully. We take on him, it, and he yep. takes on us, 
in that baptismal waters right there at the very beginning of the gospel. And that is, but that is because that's also why we're referred to as the bride of Christ, because we're taking on his name inside of the marriage covenant, right? And he is the protector and provider. That's what I'm saying. Absolutely. He's the one that carries us through the door. Like um, when back as old tradition, when they first walked through the doors when they got married, the reason that the husband picked up the wife is so that any kind of spiritual whatever wouldn't cling on to the wife. It would only cling on to the man. So she's he is protecting his bride from any kind of spiritual darkness and attack. That That's sort of symbolic to what he's doing. Amen. And, and I could definitely build that out and everything else. But <laughs> amen. But it just said that this saves you. The baptism, which corresponds to this, the fact that he's gone down and proclaimed to the prisoners of old that are locked away the truth of God's patience that's now come to fruition as him being the propitiation. Your baptism, when Jesus was baptized, who was he proclaiming that to? Everyone. Okay, so you have... Oh, well, no, go ahead. Continue with what you're saying. You were close. Uh, you should have went with your gut. Okay, because <laughs> it's, it's all three heavens. All right, so when he takes on our separation, uh-huh. he needs to be reunited with the Father's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why they right. do what they okay. do. Okay. Because he left the power of the Holy Spirit and God's original Word in yeah, the waters. Gotcha. But the waters represented what to the Jews? of spiritual darkness. So he is making a spiritual proclamation of the war that's going on, that I have now entered into the depths of hell and left my life for my people, and then came up and took our separation all the way to the cross with his Father and the Holy Spirit reuniting with him right out of the water. So he's he's basically making everything known to the second heavens, the first heavens, through the authority of the third heavens. So when you were baptized, you did too. (laughs) Yeah. And if, if somebody didn't explain it that way, you need to fall in love with it right now. Yeah, it's beautiful, dude. You are making a spiritual proclamation yep. to the second heavens yep. for the name and the glory and renown and honor of the third heavens yep. in this physical life the rest of the time that you're here. Yep. And that's spiritual warfare. Yes, sir. And, and when you say that, that that saves you, not as a removal of dirt. We're not talking about getting off what you did wrong or got you dirty. No, we're not talking about Jesus that. Jesus already done that with yeah. the blood. Yep. This is the spiritual water, the life. I am the living water. Yeah. To be born of water and Holy Spirit right. is to enter yes. the kingdom of God. You are a B'nai Elohim, son of God, God yep. right now. That's why the whole. That's why you're a saint. You're no longer a sinner because you have a new identity. Your identity is in your sainthood, not in your sinning. Not that Correct. you don't sin. It's yeah, not who not you are. Not saying that, yeah. Yeah, so when, 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 we, when we enter into that, it gets so beautiful, and, and I, I mean— so that you can have a good conscience. Well, that's why that's why Paul is saying, should we go on? Should we go on sinning? By no means at all. Of course, we're not supposed to strive to not sin anymore because of who we are. So when it says that through God making an appeal to God spiritually, making an appeal to the third heavens mm-hmm. through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. for you to have a good conscience, yeah. does, that, does that make you think of any scripture? Um. We don't have time. No. In First John 3, it says this, Beloved, all right, mm-hmm. because you're in the family, mm-hmm. you are now beloved children. That's how John writes all the way through First John. Right. That's how he understood it. Mm-hmm. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive. Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and yep. he knows everything. Beloved, if your heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Yep. Boldly go to him. Whenever your heart does condemn you, mm-hmm. 
God's already greater than that. And he knows everything. Yep. Now, when I believe he knows everything and that's what he said, Mm -hmm. how does that take place? Well, because Jesus Christ and his resurrection is already inside of the victory that we're just waiting for the triumphal entry, which once again is my confidence before God the Father. Mm -hmm. In that right relationship, whatever I ask him to know him in a greater way and share that unto others as a sacrifice, Mm -hmm. he is yearning for me to fall in love with. Yeah. The first Peter three is an incredible section of scripture. And I, I, he's, I don't think we have time, but it's, uh, you got nine minutes from when you said you wanted to be done. Oh, now it's me. Okay. That's all good. It's all good. You did say that. (laughs) I don't know that I'm enjoying this. So you can keep going if you want or whatever. Quickly. We're going to roll back to first Peter three and then we're just going to go through. I would love to get to four, whatever I said, four 18 or what I, I doubt I'll get all the way to. 422, but when, well, no, that couldn't be right. Oh, 411. I was going to go 1 Peter 3 8 through 411, and I don't know that we'll get all the way to 411, but every bit of it is important. So if I don't, I encourage you to keep going with what we've got sitting in front of us, but to yeah, put this sure. theology inside of what we do know and then what this adds unto us is this. Finally, all of you have a unity of mind. So if we go over to Philippians 2, it says, Have the same mind as Christ. That's the same mind of Messiah, and that's the same mind of I have been anointed, I have now been baptized white. When you see me, mm-hmm. you see the finished work of the Father and the Son because of the union with the, the Holy Spirit, right. leading to me having <clears throat> sympathy mm-hmm. because it breaks my heart that you don't have what I'm trying to offer you that I right. didn't deserve either. Right. Brotherly love means my brothers are really the eternal point because at the end of running everybody away with the same spiritual food and the same spiritual drink, right. he turns to the 12 and says, are you going to leave too? And they had to come to the end of, we don't have any other answer. Yeah, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Which leads to a tender heart yep. and a humble mind. Yep. So in Micah, he says, what does Yahweh expect of you, O man, to do justice, to walk humbly, yep. and uh, to show mercy? Yep. All right, so if I do justice, I'm going to find out I can't. Yep. So that's going to make me humble myself and depend on his hesed, his you grace. Can, you can't do it in the pride of yourself. And that's going to become my walk because that's who I am. Right. So I'd be tenderhearted. I'd have a humble mind. I wouldn't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, I would bless because I've been called into this special relationship that I've already received yep. to be able to share that blessing. Absolutely. So don't repay brokenness with brokenness and don't pay anger with anger. Be free of that and start to look for the good in others and in this world because your perspective, your lenses, your worldview mm-hmm. sets up a majority of what we struggle with. Right. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from seeking deceit. All right, so if the desire of your heart is to love this life and to see days working for the function for which they were created, Mm -hmm. you would keep, that means look to the fact that your tongue can either speak good or evil. Yeah. So you would be guarding your tongue. You'd be looking unto the things that you say that they're not speaking the broken opinions of this world, but they're speaking the good truth. You would turn away from the brokenness and do the function for which you were created. In other words, it says you would turn away from evil and do good. Mm-hmm. Good and evil, yep. function for which it was created, not evil. in the function for which yep. it was created. You would turn away from the function being broken to actually joining in with the function for which you were created. Yep. That is, once again, integration into this plan that he has done through the, who, the truth of who he is. And it says, and then you would seek peace and pursue it. 
All right. So when you knock, seek, and seek is in your heart, mm-hmm. you would seek a heart condition of a good conscience, a right. settled heart. Right. And then I would do it, pursue it. Yeah. So I, I would know it and believe it, and then I would manifest it by doing it. Yep. For the eyes of Yahweh are on the righteous. Mm-hmm. All right. Because of who he is and what he's done, I start to fall in love with this. But it's a spiritual truth as well as a physical truth. Yep. And when I start to fall in love with his eyes are on the righteous, it says his ears are open to their prayer. But if you go back up to the verse that I didn't start with, it says you need to treat your wife as a weaker or porcelain vessel. Right. Because it'll hinder your prayers if you don't. Right. And that's not saying I can treat my wife good for a couple of weeks and ask for a Lamborghini. What that is saying is... <laughs> That's religion. Yeah. What that is saying yeah. is, is if I go to bed angry at my wife, I give the foothold to the devil because it is taking my attention and I'm not seeking peace. I'm not turning away from what I was created for. I, I, I am not turning towards what I was created for. It is distracting the eyes of my heart yeah. and the ears of my Lord because I ain't talking to him right now. I'm mad. Mm, yeah. I want my way, and I'm not going to talk to him because all I'm going to ask for things I know he ain't going to give me because I know him well enough to know, and, and that's where you go to bed. Right. And it's your choice. So it's a spiritual thing, but the face of the Lord is against all those who do evil. All, the, the face is against all those who do what they were not created to do. Yeah. Now, what's the harm to you if you're zealous for what is good? So, I mean, is there any harm to you if you're really going after the function for which you were created in? Even if you suffer for righteousness sake, at least you're suffering for something and you should have no fear of them, nor be troubled in your hearts. Honor Messiah and the Lord is holy and be prepared to make this defense for anyone who asks so that you can have a good conscience. It's if my eyes are on the relationship for which I was created. Mm -hmm. Good. Yeah. It's going to lead to right relationship righteousness yep which then integrates me into the plan of why i'm here which is to honor jesus my lord of lords king of kings and the holiness of the one true god yahweh yeah so can can i interject mm-hmm. here for a second so let's go back to that with that understanding right there let's go back to the being mad at your wife and not praying right here in this in this moment so instead of saying i'm angry and all of that and not doing anything how about you Remember, recall to mind that out of the fullness of what you've done, you go to God and you say, what do I do? What, what, help me say what I need to say to give a peace offering to my wife so that I'm not giving a foothold. Instead of saying, tell me all the ways that I can be right and really, and really get her on this one so I can be right. Because, I mean, that would be taking it back to the relational side. So in a relational side, 16 and 17 say this, having a good conscience. Yeah. But when my heart condemns me, God knows better than you. Yeah. Fall in love with that plan. It says to having a good conscience so that when you're slandered or reviled, your good behavior in Christ may not be put to shame. So when you are reviled and talked about, your good behavior in being like the Messiah, mm-hmm. okay, conforming to his son, may not be put to shame. Here's the verse for you, though, in a relationship. Yeah. For it is better to suffer for doing good, right? if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So what is God's will? Love God and love others at the cost of yourself. All right, so Romans 8 says that the will of God is to be conformed to the image of his son. Yeah. How is that going to happen? What is the greatest commandment? By loving God with all your heart, mind, and soul and loving your neighbor. Yeah. I mean, like our, goal, our goal as, as a body is to corporately become more like Christ. So if I take this sentence and it says, for it is better to suffer for doing good, it 
if that should be God's will, then for doing evil. Mm-hmm. And we put them in words that we understand mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. If you're, if you should do God's will, right. It will be because you're suffering for doing what you were created for. Yeah. And that's better than doing what you weren't created for in the long run. What's the difference between doing it for God's will versus doing it for your will? That's the difference in them. And one's going to lead you into being like a Messiah anointed, and one's going to lead you away from it. Yep. So the Messiah is, like you're saying, the relational doing of it, Messiah mediator. I'm now mediating for my wife, even though I don't want to, because that's God's will for me. So question. Uh So to use some biblical illustrations here, I'm wondering. So this would be Jesus in the Garden of Yosemite before the cross saying, if there's any other way. Garden of Yosemite? Is that right? (laughs) Not Yosemite. Where was he at? Uh, Where was he at? I thought he was in the garden. Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane? Sorry, whatever. Uh, <laughs> you mispronounce stuff all the time. Anyway. And I do. And I'm, yeah, yeah. Back to what I was saying. So this is where he's in the garden before the cross saying, if there's any other way, let this cup pass for me, but if not my will, your will. So he goes through the thing, goes through that situation. Now do it on the flip side of this. Judas goes and says, I know what I'll do to make him take the, take, put the government on his shoulders. I will put him in a position where he, has to move inside of his will with that kind of do those does that make sense in it because it, one of them would be lowering what you want to do for God's plan which is not my will but your will versus I know what I'll do to make God move so one would that be good and evil it it would the function for which it was created and not the function for which you were created you right. were created for relationship with the father as Conforming to the image of the Son, right, which is the right relationship, which was to lay down His. So Jesus Christ is an example before us. Says, "I'm suffering and I'm sweating blood." Yeah, but I'm going to do good. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to suffer for good. Yeah, the function for which I was created, yep. Father. If you can't change it, this is the reason that I've come. And I'm going to suffer for the function is. for yeah. which I was sent. Then you take Judas, which is suffering. Yeah, why? Why is he Why suffering? is Judas mad? Is it about the money? Mm-hmm. It's about the money, because the money that they used could have been sold to feed the, what he says it could have been to feed the poor, or, yeah, feed the feed people who were starving and provide for people who were poor. Um, okay, and, so his role was the treasurer. They break the alabaster, which was worth 30 shekels of silver. Yep. He's pissed because they wasted the money. Yep. He's sitting at the table, yep. and because he's throwing a pity party and because he's mad, yeah. which is the same door for us, and once again, James turns around and says, that's the foothold for the devil. Yep. What happens after he dips the bread? He says, go and uh, go and do what must be done. But, but Satan entered into him. Then Satan enters into him because hurry up and allow your anger and your bitterness to run its course. That's good. And then spirit, the father of that spirit, enters into him. Yeah. And it's self, it's anger, it's suffering for not what you were created for. Right. A relationship outside of doing God's will, which is being in right relationship. Yeah. And like you're saying, Christ perfectly fulfilling it in much worse places, but knowing that the suffering is for the thing he was created for. Right. Which gets back to your life today. If you're listening to my voice, you were sent and created to suffer. You are not created to have everything. You're not created for instant gratification. Everyone inside the sound of my voice, including me, because I can hear it, does that. Right. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, yeah, you need to do that, you guys. No, we. But that we. is the struggle. Yeah. 
because one I was created and sent for it and it will have eternal value. And the other one is trying to steal it from me. Right. Uh, and that's still in me. It's no different than anyone else. There's, there's, there's tons and tons here guys, because that's where he starts talking about, Hey, this is what was going on before and after Christ. This is the spiritual battle of those that went before him. This baptism makes you join into this military, uh, military conquest. But it says, listen, that baptism, which corresponds to this now saves you. But I thought it was by grace through faith. And that's what saves us. And no one could boast. And Paul's like, yes. <laughs> right. So <laughs> when I pray, I pray in the spirit. When I think, I think in the spirit. When yep. I sing, I sing in the spirit. But when I yep. sing, I sing with my mind. Mm-hmm. Do I need to understand that it's all in his works and not mine so that I stay humble and yes. broken and contrite? Absolutely. Am I not supposed to have bold access inside of the spirit of what he has done? Yes. That's why he did it. Yeah. And, and, and it takes both. But it says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I have a good conscience before the Father God, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, Yahweh, with angels, authorities, and powers that have been subjected to him. I'm telling you guys, the more you see it, you'll see it everywhere. There's God and Jesus, God and Jesus. Yeah. I'm not stealing anything away from Jesus that Jesus would not want you to hear coming out of my mouth. Don't pit me against the glory and the beauty and the honor of my father. I came to make that known. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't steal anything about him being equally as beautiful and valuable as the father, because I can't have the father without the son, and I can't have the son without the father. Yeah. So it's not trying to be like, no, he's not this. No, the, the design of the Trinity. Right. I say amen and amen. We could not know God without all three. Right. One revelation of God, equally important in right relationship. Yeah. But, but when you combine them to where they don't make sense that they originally did in their theology, mm-hmm. you end up with people playing games. Well, that's why I would say it's interesting because even even with Christ humbling himself for a, for a short time, even lower than the angels, well, he goes and then he says, now that this is about to happen, glorify me like we were before the creation of the of the world, right? So, but that's where he's talking about. He's talking about the the fathers having to do this. I found this earlier, and I know that this is. I think this is going to blow Mick away. So, uh-huh. if, I, if if I can blow Mick away, hopefully there's somebody else that'll get blown away, and then we're going to be done. I keep, I know you keep looking over there, and he's right. He's watching out for me. So, First <laughs> Corinthians fifteen. Okay. It's talking about the resurrection of the dead, you know, not to be, you know, not to be taken by surprise. Uh-huh. All right. And then it says this, it says, for as Adam died in all, for as in Adam all died. Right. So also in the Messiah, the anointed one shall all be made alive. Mm-hmm. But each in his own order, Christ is the first fruits. Mm-hmm. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Right. All right. So Christ is already in his resurrected flesh. Right. When the, uh, Clouds roll back like a scroll, yep. according to Isaiah, mm-hmm. and he comes back in the triumphal entry, which, like you were saying, they already are looking for and understand that imagery, and we don't have right. to like make up things of dispensationalism and all that. Yeah. All right. Twenty-four, verse twenty-four, 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty-four. Then comes the end, not not like an invisible, and then there's something later. He says, "Okay, so then comes the end, right? When he delivers the kingdom." to God the Father after destroying every rule and authority and power. So Jesus doesn't even stay in the reign. He turns it right back over to the sovereign. Yeah. Because we are brothers and sisters, co-heirs. Right. And although he's Lord of Lords, King of Kings, and we'll love him even more for doing that, 
Yeah. It's not the position he held to equality. Because inside of their culture, they always understood a transcendent God who has always been reigning, and then there was an incarnate God. So therefore, it makes sense that he would give it back to the transcendent God who's always been the ruler and controller and authority, right? And when he sends them, he always sends them to, like in John twenty twenty, when he says, Mary, go get my brothers, because I don't hold on to me, because I'm going to my God and your God, my father right. and your father. And it's picked up in Revelations. John used said, the same language. To prepare a place for y'all. Well, that's John 14. Yeah. But at the end, after the resurrection, in other words, when okay. he's in the garden, Mary finds him. Yeah, right? yeah. She thinks he's a gardener. And, well, because it's taken all the way back to the garden imagery. There's yeah, tons of yeah. the theological of stuff, stuff there, too. Right? But Mary, when he grabs a hold of, when she grabs a hold of him, he says, Mary, don't clutch upon me because I have to go back to the father. Right. Go get the brothers. I have to go back to my father and your father, my right. God and your God. And that's the first time he uses that language. Yeah, he calls them brothers. And yeah, yeah never yeah, calls them anything but brothers, co heirs. Right. Yep. And my father and your father. Mm hmm my God and, and your, your God. God. So now he is separated in his flesh to where the father is now God, even unto Jesus. Right. Because equality wasn't to be held. Right. But he's his father the same way he's our father. Right. So there's that trade on both sides of the baptismal waters. He's, right. He's now my God because he's your God. Right. But now he's your father because he's been my, my father. father yeah. And, and he's, I'm bridging them together. There's no one, separation. Yeah, we're one family. And and it's not a value statement. I'm not taking away the deity that Christ made known. No, he's, he it's, a, re, it's revealing the truth of what it's always been. It's the imminent God. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty, that's pretty cool. It's very cool, and especially because it changes your theology to where you are now in the kingdom of God. You are secure in that plan. Well, it's the it's also the it's the the fulfillment or the fullness of where he was saying that. No, we're friends because y'all know the plan. And right. that's where he's basically saying he's leading them to that, you know, as they're going right. and they're inching towards that. And then when it happens, the resurrection happens, he says, guess what, baby? <laughs> but even then you have to come in as obedient. And, well, yeah. In other words, laying yourself down. Yeah, yeah. But the slave doesn't know the story. Right. So when you come in, you come to church, they tell you, well, they should tell you that yeah, it, this cost everything. Right. As you lay down the things that you can. Yeah. And you start to actually read the gospel, which yeah. is the plan of the father. He says, I now call you my friends because mm -hmm. the master doesn't teach the servants, right. only his friends. Right. But what is the plan? Um, let's see. For you to be my bride, I'm yep. your husband, and he's now your father, not by, not by blood, but by name. Yep. Because of marriage. The vow. Yep. My word. Yep, and Jesus is the Word, and because, the Word with God. Well, because but it goes back to that same thing that I had shared earlier that a part of justice is keeping the promise, and it's based upon the promise that God made that our that my Father made, your you know, our Father made, which was actually like Father Abraham and the two walking through the covenant in the very beginning, and the fulfillment yep. of the whole story to yes. where the Old Testament is ours, and the New Testament is the fulfillment of what's always been ours. Yep drawing Israel, the church, and anyone else that's underneath the blood of Christ through the propitiation that he paid to be able to stand in front of the Father, one, yeah, one for, unity. For when he comes back for the consummation of all things. Right. So that's the whole story right. summed up. Right, That's uh, that's awesome. Yeah, I it, like that. I dug that. If nobody else dug it, I dug it. <laughs> and the premise of it was the, the history in between the 400 years of silence being the Apocrypha. Yeah is well worth your time reading, if nothing else, just to know the culture and what they believed when Jesus spoke, 
Because right. if not, you're making Jesus speak into our tradition. Right. You're making Jesus speak into our culture. And yes, that does apply because that's where we are in redemptive history. Right. But that doesn't have authority. The right. authority is in what they were speaking into yeah. from the original author to the original audience. Yep. And, and so it's important. It's it's not. Well, that's what that's what that's what brings us all though. That's what brings what happened then. Why it matters now. Right. Why it matters in the future. All of it. I mean, it's the it's the fullness of it. It keeps you from working programs and trying to get better, which is religion, and it keeps you from defeat because you are inside the victory of Christ. Amen. And you're alive. Yeah, I mean, I mean absolutely. That's, that's wonderful. You got anything else to add? Bye, Eric. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> you said it too soon. My I, have bad. To, I have to ask you to say that. So <laughs> that's how that works. <laughs> All right. So I guess the final question, what can we take away from this conversation and not tear at the seams of the bride, but build each other up as we grow in our relationship with God? I know we kind of went through that again, but. Closing, closing thoughts. Specific question, specific yes. answer. Okay. Not Pacific, specific answer. <laughs> um, I'm more of an Atlantic guy myself. Word, words matter. So if you, if you, what's going to happen as I prayerfully God continues to, to reveal this relationship from the Dead Sea Scrolls with this older manuscript yeah. to where we are now being led into understanding this relationship in the way that is, is available. Mm-hmm. Oh, why didn't they teach this in a hundred years ago? Cause they didn't have it. Right. So if they didn't have it and God gave it to us, that's love and grace. And, 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 and Dude, that's awesome. It, it, it should make us lovingly want to know. Now, here's the thing. People that have never heard this. Yeah are going to hear something totally different and they're going to shut down on you and they're yeah. going to, they're not going to like it. And they're going to think that, Oh, now you're stealing this. And, but yeah. you find out so that you can love them accordingly as you go through it mm-hmm. because the assurance is in that story. Yeah. What they're holding on to doesn't have assurance. Right. So in a loving relationship, continuing to pour how this does affect you and you get to hold on to it right. inside of what they've done for 50 years and they're going to continue doing and it's going to continue doing the same thing it did the last 50 years, yeah. but you have somebody in the room processing it and yep. speaking of it different. And I have seen this in my own you know, experience. You'll be in Sunday school and you'll like, they'll, what does it mean to you? What does it mean to you? And, and everybody goes around and you'll be you know, trying to, what, well, what actually is being said from the author to the audience in the globe of the, glo- and everybody's going to blow you off and they're going to pray at the end, the same exact thing. That it's like, man, <laughs> But eight to 12 months later, yeah. you'll hear them after having heard it, after having processed it, after having a little bit of repetition, mm. and then them being in relationship with God and looking at their scripture, you're going to hear them coming up with what you've been saying. Like, you know, the other day God showed me that, uh, and it's beautiful. <laughs> I mean, cause that's, that's what yeah. it was for. It well, was not awesome. for you to be right. Yeah. And it was not for them to give you the glory, yeah. but you will, you will eventually rub off on those that you love by presenting the true gospel that Mm -hmm. the gospel will then reaffirm when they spend their time with it. Whether that be their life and experience, whether that be the the, the gospel that they read at home, or even when they come to Sunday school over enough time, you can share this love and joy and peace. Yeah. Um, but you, you're probably going to get pushback to begin with and just be ready for that. I guess is that's how you wouldn't tear at the seams is, To jump in there with both feet and try just, and just, try and make people understand. Yeah, just be patient with them. You know, I mean, it is it is new. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you have, like time and process, like we've said several times. You know, it's 
but it's not new. It's like Jesus when he's like, I'm going to give you a new command, but it's not really new at all, but you should have known it, but it's to actually love one another. Imagine yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. But you know, and like I said, but in us trying to love people mm-hmm. where they're at, that's just where they're at. Amen. So, and yes. that's, that's and all it down to. Yeah, yes. 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 So we, uh, we thank you for joining us today on the podcast. We hope that you have taken away information that will help challenge what you believe for the benefit of growing in our walk with God. If you would like to support the ministry, you can join us on Patreon. It is patreon.com slash faithfleshedout. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at faithfleshedout. If you have any questions or comments or want to get involved at all, contact us at our email with faithfleshedout at gmail.com. That is faithfleshedout at gmail.com. Once again, thank you for joining us. We love you all. Say bye, Eric. Bye, Eric. Outro. <laughs>